Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to what has become the annual reflection of Palace One, Brighton One and this week's FYP podcast. I'm your host Jack Pearce and joining me to discuss the Brighton match, answer your questions and a little bit more are Dominic Firefield of The Athletic. How are you Dom? I'm very well thanks. How are you doing? Are you okay Jack? Good, good thank you. Yes, uh, uh, a fun jaunt back down to the coast last night after the Brighton game. We just played some tunes and didn't really talk about the football because I knew I'd be doing it today. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. Just signed off for work for the uh, the Christmas period too. So, uh, yeah, all, all oh, good. good. Full of full of festive vibes and hopefully we'll bring that to uh, to this episode. And fresh from this week's post-match pod, as well as some last-minute Christmas shopping, it's the South London Press's Edmund <laughs> Brack. How are you, Ed? I'm very well, thank you, Jack. Yeah, very well. Uh, I feel like Jean-Philippe Matessa, back back-to-back performances, uh, back-to-back outings. So yeah, hopefully, I deliver a, a stunning display like he did yesterday. Well, if we're if we're saying that you're in the best form of your life, then uh, we've had a good episode uh, come the end of this episode. Yeah. But lack lacklustre and frustrating. Uh, but enough about your shopping trip, Ed. We'll we'll get onto the football uh, in in a moment. Uh, before we do get into the football, um, a few quick messages. And, and firstly, from our friends at Green King Sport, where football Football is more than a game. Tis the season for festive football, and the best way to watch it, down at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends old and new, so get the team to your local for refreshing pints, delicious food, and live action of every Christmas cracker. Every fixture from TNT, Sky Sports, and Amazon is live at Green King Sport venues this Christmas. That means wall-to-wall action at their huge HD screens, Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bids volley and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sports on the TV. 
We'd also like to thank our patrons for their continued support. If you'd like to support FYP by joining our Patreon, you can by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Options start at the price of a coffee per month, and it gets you access to the post-match podcast and ad-free versions of this midweek pod. And finally, as we revealed this week on our socials, Jim and I had the pleasure of interviewing Neil Warnock this week for our January episode of the interview series. Neil is on tour next year and will be at Plough Lane next June. So if you're still looking for a last minute present for a loved one who'd enjoy an afternoon hearing all his tales from his long career, visit gotoagig.com. We'll also include the link in our show notes. This month's interview was with the legend that is James MacArthur, and that is now available to all listeners wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, on with the pod, and let's talk Palace Brighton. Dom, your thoughts on the match as a whole, uh, but perhaps whether you saw it as a, as, a, as some others did, uh, in that it was a game of two halves. I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I, I think... I think the first half performance looked a lot better after we saw how Brighton played in the second half. Um, there was a period in the first half, in the first 20 minutes, where Brighton had a complete monopoly of the ball. I mean, this weren't, we weren't getting a touch. That's, but it was done at, at, a, at a pace that was comfortable for us to deal with, and we could control... Uh, defensively we could nullify them and control the situation and and make them look what they were which was pretty blunt in the in the final third um and we had our own little forays forward and and probably weirdly probably as many in that first half in that little period just before the break as we had in a little shorter period in the second half when we were meant to be you know we ostensibly didn't didn't see the ball and 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 were back to the wall throughout i i thought that as soon as brighton injected some energy and dynamism and forward thrust into their play a bit of more urgency basically they looked a class apart i'm sorry they just looked a class apart they they kept the ball better if they had a a finisher in the team, um, a more natural finisher, they would have scored a lot of a lot more goals to to reward that that monopoly of the ball. Um, and that's, but that, that's not revelatory. I and mean, that's we've been saying that about Brighton for about five years. Um, it, it, it's, I think it was a, a in the end it was a really admirable, resilient. And lucky performance from Crystal Palace to get through with a point and and to to emerge with with a point in many ways as admirable as the point at Manchester City on on Saturday. Um, I know we're not allowed to say that about Brighton because Brighton are our rivals, but there were times yesterday when I watched that game and thought, bloody hell, they're good. They're a really good team, and um, the way that they're technically proficient all over the pitch and the the fluidity of their movement and the fact they flood the opposition half with um, with players <sighs> it makes them so difficult to control. Their, their movement was was about as impressive as I've seen at Selhurst for a really really long time. The 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 creation of space by the lines that players are nowhere involved with the ball create for for others. I mean, you just have to see how. I think Hinchelwood, who, who started at right back, was just in the final third as much as he was. I think Ed, you, you mentioned that in the post-match pod. Um, 
that the lines they run. Are, yeah, some of the some of the best directed team movement by a manager I've seen for for a really long time. However, that that doesn't combat the the air of frustration amongst uh, a, a significant proportion of the Palace fan base at full time last night. Um, with with fans especially cross in terms of Palace's own approach to that second half. We've had a few comments and I'll, I'll cite a couple now. More uh, more comments rather than questions, which is why it's probably uh, working them in this part. So Mark Drew, worst second half performance I've seen in a long time. We were just chasing the ball around and the odd time we got the ball, we gave it straight back to Brighton. Mark, I don't know if you were at Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago, but that was not a good <laughs> night and I'd, I'd probably say that was a, a worse second half performance. Uh, Daniel... Uh, Dan of the South rather than Dan of the North. Why do we always sit so deep when leading games when we've known for years we always slip up at the end? I, I think it's one of those that had Brian not scored and we were looking at this um, as a, uh, a fantastic win. Could be arguing that, that Roy Hodgson had uh, orchestrated some some degree of tactical masterclass. And then finally, just in this this part, just on this point before we come to, to Ed, Dan Welsh um, cites the performance and describes the performance such as Luke and Matt Dross, um, presumably a reference to Camberley's finest boy band, um, who despite my best efforts, I can't make a Palace-related link to. So um, I'll age myself and likely most listeners by asking Ed if he knows who Bross are. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> Dom is, you are uh, kidding me, surely. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, uh, no idea. What song? What? What? What was their hit? When, when will I be famous? Uh, and you owe me nothing. I think are probably the two that oh. most people would. You got nothing. <laughs> no, it's okay. gone straight over my head. I'm sorry. No, I, Dom, I, I hope Dom. I've offended everyone with that. No. Um, okay. Have Dom a lovely fan? Christmas, both. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm a fan. I hated them, but even so, well, surely they must have done the rounds on reality TV in the last few years. I mean, surely no. Oh God, oh, I'll just one of them did strictly. But then Ed doesn't strike me as a strictly fan. But they also oh, did. And and if any listener hasn't watched this, perhaps one of the best mockumentaries. Despite the fact I don't think it was meant to be a mockumentary, but um, yeah, they reformed. But anyway. Thank you for the uh, slight distraction there, Dan Welsh. Um, but Ed, did we invite the equaliser, or was it a case of Brighton just improving in the second half? But as, as Dom says, they were they had moments in the first half too. But particularly, I guess, following that double change at half time, in terms of Danny yeah. Welbeck providing more of a focal point at the top of the pitch, and also Buenanotte, who who played, I thought, really well when he came in, and, and particularly caused issues from from their right hand side. But from your perspective, was it our creation, or, or did Brighton just? you know, deserve that that point because of their performance. I don't think we, we can't say that they didn't deserve the point with the amount of ball, the the ball that they had, the chances that they created, the number of blocks and interceptions, last ditch challenges that we put in. It always felt like they were they were going to get that equaliser. Um, as you mentioned, the two changes that they made at half time. I actually thought that we came out of the second half with a little bit more ascendancy than, than Bryson probably should have. I, I know that he sent them out early to Zerbe with a, a little bit of a rocket. but uh, And uh, uh, Selzy mentioned after that it was Jason Steele who sort of gave him the, the rocket. Did he say that in the pod or have I just done that off no, the top he of did. my head? He, he did say it in the pod. He did. Right, okay, yes. very good. And so, he, so they've obviously come out, but they looked a little bit timid. I thought that was maybe another chance where we could have capitalised. Um, but then when, when those changes start to implement the game, Welbeck, a real focal point up top for them. Buenanote was sort of controlling it in the middle, passing it around. I, I mean, it's remarkable, really, that Brighton can lose McAllister, Estepinian via, via injury, um, Caicedo to Chelsea, bringing these unknown sort of talents of 
I'm, I'm not going to say I, I've heard of many of them before they they come to the Premier League, and they're exceptional talents who look like they're going to go on and do sort of similar things in the game. Um, it, it's sort of the, the the thing really that struck me most about Crystal Palace's season. I saw it again when we played Bournemouth the other the other Wednesday. Um, Bournemouth had the ability to bring on take off their best three attackers and bring on three similar caliber of players who were able to kill off the game. Brighton had the ability to bring on two amazing players at halftime for their squad to to influence the, the scoreline. Palace don't have the ability to to truly impact games off the bench because the, the squad is so thin, the squad is so, so weak in, in the wide areas, especially. We saw when Jean-Philippe Mateta went down with around 15 minutes to go um, via cramp and he delivered a sensational performance in terms of the way that he battled up against Lewis Dunk, but there was no there was no options to change it. We, we just had to try and hang on in there. And it was quite clear with Everett Chiesa's sort of involvement that he wasn't quite fit. So um, it was a well-deserved point for Brighton. I, I, I don't really side with the people who I've seen quite a lot of sort of anger towards the result on social media this morning. I'm, I'm not quite sure where that comes from because our last three performances, barring uh, a Jordan Ayew red card, which is debatable, um, you're looking at five points potentially so yeah I'm not I'm not too sure why the sort of animosity towards the performance last night I guess it comes because Crystal Palace's home form in 2023 has been has been pretty dire I think it's four wins in in the calendar year at Selhurst Park so when you're coming up against your rivals you're leading for quite a significant period and then I guess fans feel like you've sat, sat deep and invited the pressure but the truth is the way Bryson controlled the ball, it's like you're playing Manchester City again. It was the way the fullbacks overlap, the way they control it in front of your penalty box, sort of powerless a little bit to it. So, yeah, um, a, a good point heading into a couple of crucial games before the, the turn of the year. Yeah, you mentioned the squad then, and Dom, plenty of talk about the general approach, but what did you think of the subs that, that Roy did make and, and can extend on, on Ed's point there about maybe, the, again, the lack of options, which is kind of a weekly topic of conversation, but specifically Ebbs, who... I think we have to be honest, was clearly not ready to to come on and um, had had two key moments in terms of his half an hour on the pitch. One was the missed chance, which I think a fit at Ebbs is, is a lot sharper and, and takes that and he's more clinical with, with his decision-making. But also his his uh, role in, in what led to the, the Brighton equaliser. And obviously he doesn't lead to the goal directly. It's a magnificent header by Danny Welbeck, but he does give the ball away in a part of the pitch that no team wants to turn the ball over. So just in terms of the subs generally, your thoughts on those, but and also maybe just a word on Ebbs. I thought I thought Roy Hodgson was was very honest in his post-match, basically said that he got the subs wrong. I mean, that, that they didn't have the desired effect at all. And, and this time he wasn't talking about you know, young players going on and just struggling. I mean, although although Ozo did come on, I didn't think he was he, he was he was he did okay. I mean, relatively speaking, even in a difficult circumstance. But yeah, it was as a it was a, a player coming on to replace Jordan Ayew, who's obviously on four bookings and and risking a suspension for the for the Chelsea game. Um, taking him off and bringing Ezra on, but then. It didn't work. He was horribly rusty. I completely. I mean, I thought the, the the clearance was just. I mean, it's awful. It's absolutely awful, unfortunately. And it just presents Brighton with possession in in a central area as well. Not 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 even out wide. They just. It's it's just terrific. And you know, I felt for him on the on the, on the chance and the the subsequent corner as well where his volley went down into the ground that was slightly harder but mm. but he just looked a player that was off the pace which is completely understandable but on the other hand I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking well 
what would have happened had Jordan Ayew come off and he put Jeffrey Schlupp's number up? The outrage in the stadium would have been, I mean, it would have been too much. I, I don't know for sure. And, and someone, maybe one of our listeners could, could correct me if this is the case, but the, the television cameras panned to Roy at the final whistle. Um, once he'd shaken hands with the Zerbi and he, he appeared to be talking to somebody off camera and sort of smiling in a sort of, I, I don't know, what do you want me to do sort of way here? Arms out, stretched. And, and I, I don't know for sure. He might have been talking to one of his own players, but I, I, I suspect he was talking to a member of the, of the, of the crowd who had, was presumably frustrated at, at something, probably the, the, the absence of Matthias Franza uh, on the pitch, probably. That's just me guess, guessing, because it seems to be the recurring theme at the moment. Um, but that's where we're at, at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, Schlupp probably would have done a decent job on the left. I, I can actually see the argument, I know Selzy put it out there last night, that, that, that Franza might have made a difference, just to give Brighton something to think about. But the reality of the situation is that Brighton were building up ahead of steam when he made the, the substitutions. When when it when the player was on the pitch, when Ezra was on the pitch, we actually created our three chances in the second half in next to no time with the two chances for him and the one for Mateta with the shot over the bar. Ezra was on the pitch at that point, so if one of those goes in again, it looks more like a masterstroke than a than a, a poor decision. And ultimately, when those chances didn't go in. Brighton just built up this momentum and forced us back. It wasn't Palace wanting to sit deep. They were desperate to get out of it. They just simply couldn't. It was, there was, all the momentum was with Brighton and the quality and they were pinning us back and our, our defending got, our, our attempts at clearances got ever more wild. I mean, it was like, let's just get it outfield, get it anywhere. Sometimes we, we overplayed when we thought, oh, God, we can't keep pumping it out upfield because it keeps coming back. So let's build up. And oh my God, it's panic stations there as well. It was just one of those horrible choking suffocations by Brighton until the goal came. And the irony was the goal when it came was an absolutely unbelievable header yeah. Yeah. into a tiny little area of the goal. I mean, absolutely astonishing goal considering the number of chances that they missed that were so much simpler. Yeah, in terms, in terms of their entries into to our penalty area, you felt the goal was going to come from one of the slick interchanges in, in the penalty yeah. area, and instead it comes from what I would hazard by the end of the season. We might be talking about the best-headed goal in the Premier League this season. That really yeah. is quite a goal. I don't think I really appreciated it at the time because I was so furious with the way that we'd given the ball away so cheaply, but it is an incredible goal. He has... You know, as, as you say, Dom, nowhere to put it other than where he did, and, and he scored. So, yeah, it, you know, Danny Welbeck off the bench, proven quality. Adam Lalana for the last twenty minutes, I thought changed it up. His movement is is very good, and it freed up Pascal Gross, who went wide right. So, yeah, that it it did um, it, it 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 did compare the the two squads and, and the subs. And I think whatever Roy had done at that moment, if he if he hadn't brought Ebbs on, we'd probably be talking about why he didn't bring Ebbs on. Um, Jack, just, just to interject, on, sorry, on, and then I'll shut up for at no, least no, 10 good. minutes. They had a hundred, a £100 million rated striker on the bench who didn't even come on. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. even required. Was he, he on the bench for them last night? Yeah, Evan Ferguson yeah. was there and just didn't, wasn't even required on the pitch. So, yeah. I mean, and, and they've got injuries, serious injuries as well. Injuries, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it, 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 it just, it, it just bears the, the reality of the situation, which which really no Palace fan, even the most honest Palace fan, really wants to accept that that they are just in a, in a better place than we are right now, particularly in terms of of playing staff. Um, Achini, just in terms of Ebbs, 
does ask whether um, he wants to ban Ebbs from ever playing on the wing again. Um, I don't know if we can ban him, but we can certainly maybe uh, utilise him in more effective parts of the position. But he does fairly point out that perhaps Schluppi or uh, Franza uh, would perhaps have been a better outlet given the nature of the game at that point. Uh, the, the way Ebbs played last night, it, it was akin to the performance he offered when he first came back from this horrendous uh, Achilles injury that happened against Villa. I seem to remember him coming on with us 2-0 down and he just looked like a player really not ready to be playing first-team football. And, and I just feel he came on last night in a way because it was Brian at home. And I do feel there's 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 really no option for Roy at the moment. I, I don't think there's any win for Roy in in, in his squad selection because of the, the dearth within it. But we'll, we'll close part one with a more positive air about us. Um, and without preempting 3-2-1 too much, Ed, were there players last night who did impress you? We talked about David Ozo. I think probably the best thing about David Ozo's appearance last night was the fact he got more minutes. And uh, I'm mm. probably with Dom in that I didn't think he added much to us, but he, he was quite tidy on the ball and, and and did, you know, get about. He didn't go hiding. But Michael Elise showed some absolutely fantastic touches again and, and just proved what a talent he was. But in view of kind of going into part two a little bit more positively and, and hopefully bringing some of the listeners with us, who stood out for you last night? I thought Nathaniel Klein actually was was excellent up against Matoma. Uh, I think it was only once where Matoma actually got round the back of him, and that was when he went down under the sort of soft challenge that the referee waved waved away the penalty claims pretty quickly. And when I watched it back on the replay, it looked like he hit his foot into the ground, so no contact there whatsoever. Um, Jefferson Lerma did really well as always. A shrewd piece of business to bring him in on a free transfer. There was that period when he had that after that hamstring injury where you sort of felt like his early season form maybe went away from him a little bit, but he's found that back and a sensational player for us. Um, the I'm sort of player that we need. Well, sorry to interrupt, Ed, but I think Jefferson Lama is the embodiment of shrewd signing on a free transfer. <laughs> yeah. He is yeah. he is literally referred to that, I think, most weeks on this podcast, other Palace podcasts, and now, halfway through the season, other Premier League watchers are thinking what a good signing um that was sorry, interrupted your flow, but just wanted to no, that's okay. ram home well, the effectiveness of he is. He's, he's, he's a very sort, very good signing. He's the sort of signing we need to be making more of. Players with, with Premier League experience, obviously players with that sort of experience don't come up on a free as often. But as you saw in the summer, the players who are available on loan, the Harrisons, the Sinisteras, people who have played in this division before and know what it's about. Palace needs to be doing more of that because at the moment we're placing our reliance on youngsters, Ahmed, the Francher, because we have nothing else to, to sort of pin our hopes on. We lose arguably our greatest ever player and we fail to replace him. So it's... Yeah, if Roy Hodgson is turning around looking to a fan asking what could he do that what else can he do I'm sort of bewildered as to what the options are because every time I see Alhamdulillah come on I'm I'm not convinced that he's quite ready to be starting in Premier League games I'm, I haven't really seen him impact one too much off the top of my head I haven't seen it where I thought Alhamdulillah has come on and he's shown real sort of glimpses here there was maybe a little bit of early promise under Patrick Vieira but ever since then when since Roy's come back it's been incredibly well stop start for him it's very sort of in out in out in terms of substitutes appearances he still hasn't made a Premier League start for us um but in terms of positives I thought Jean-Philippe Mateta was excellent last night and really benefiting from a sort of run in the team and the January transfer window opening by the looks of it because every single time it rolls around yeah tis the season for Jean-Philippe he seems to find this uh extra gear where I was having the conversation last night with Sel. He's not. It's weird because he's not really an aerial sort of prowess, is he? I mean, last night he battled really well up against Lewis Dunk, but 
really good at holding the ball up and sort of very technical um, in terms of the way that he plays. Um, well, what is the role you want from a Crystal Palace striker? That's to bring Michael Elise and Abrichez in to play. And if he's doing something like that week in, week out, I'm not sure Crystal Palace are probably going to want to lose him because he uh, he does offer something to the team. And that's the sort of gamble you get with with buying strikers in the Premier League. If you look at Everton, they bought Beto, was it for 30 million, something along those lines? And I'm, yeah, close to him. Does, yeah. does he have a Premier League goal to, to his name as of yet? I think he has one against Newcastle. One. Okay. Do you, so know, much, do you know how much money that Everton put down on Beto? Do you know how much money they've actually oh, paid for it? No, no. Exclusive, Dom. No. Nothing. Oh, one of those deals. Wow. Okay. Wow, okay. Udinese needed the Dosh, I'm guessing, in, in a couple of years' time, maybe. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Or the yeah. tickets for Bramley Dock. I don't know, one of them. <laughs> maybe, maybe Udinese are the opening game at Bramley Dock in a couple of years' time. Who knows? But um, in terms of Mateta, yeah, there, there was a particular moment last night. I'll probably save it for 3 2 because I, I suspect he may well feature. But there was a particular moment um, which uh, which got all of, of Selhurst uh, excited, and, and it was a good moment. One thing we have ignored is we did actually score a goal last night. We probably should uh, just <laughs> have a moment <laughs> on it. Dom, the goal, from, from your perspective, was it reward for a particularly good five, ten minute period of Palaces? Yeah, and, and it's... Actually, they, they, that was actually uh, maybe part of the frustration because Brighton Brighton look like a team... I think that's 22 games now they've gone with, that, with conceding yeah. a goal in every single match. With club longest run in, the, longest yeah. run in the Premier League, yeah. I mean, it's it's... They, they, there is a vulnerability about them at the back, and for all that Lewis Dunk looked a Rolls Royce for for periods, he also, I think the whole the whole way that they play and this insistence on 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 building building short from the back is is it, it has an element of risk to it. And when Palace got the press right, and and Jean Philippe Mateta is not a natural presser of a you know of a back line, I don't think that's his favoured role particularly but he but there was a period last night where where it it did work and Jordan Ayew's hassling on one side and the threat that Elise carried not necessarily physically as in running at people but actually them knowing that my god we don't want him to get the ball because he could do anything with it um that that did prompt a, a little period of of panic and a little flurry there towards the end of the first half um which was rewarded I mean you know a a properly panicked goalkeeper into a terrible clearance, a, a very, very smart pass from from Husey to to liberate Elise again, and an absolutely sublime cross for Ayu at the back post. And the only regret of it was if if you look at Hughes and Elise when the when the goal goes in, they don't celebrate because they're convinced there must be an offside in this, and it's not it's not going to count. And that is VAR again, just utterly draining a situation in in a, a you know a derby match uh, of 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 all that sort of exuberance and an ecstasy whatever it's it was so that 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 annoyed me about it but it was actually a really nice header a really good goal and thoroughly well deserved for that little period where we were able to get at them but but i don't know maybe a combination of the fact that we worked so feverishly in that first half to create the chances that we did by putting that backline under pressure and chasing the ball throughout, and Brighton having more options off the bench to make a difference, maybe explains why we looked as if we were running through treacle for most of the second half. Mm. Yeah, it, it's uh, yes, it's a, it's a difficult one to yeah. take, but hopefully there are enough positives with players still to come back. 
Um, and maybe we'll, we'll get into to that as we, we preview uh, Chelsea and Brentford. But as, as Brack has said, two points for those three games, and it could justifiably have been more than that, given the, the nature of the Liverpool uh, results. But Just, after the ball... Sorry, game, a, I'll, yeah. I'll be curious to know, Dom. I, I asked the question, obviously, on the on the post-match pod last night about whether, about whether Selzy thought that Everett Chese sort of rushed himself back from from injury a little bit just because he's missed a chunk of the season already and then drops out of the England squad because of it. Do you feel like maybe he's rushed himself back a tiny bit? I know the Euros are obviously in the summer, but to get himself back in the forefront of Gareth Southgate's mind heading into the summer. I think given that he um, he came so close uh, to making a, you know the previous or one of the previous tournaments uh, when the Achilles struck back in... What year was that? 2021, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there, w- there will be a, a desperation to be in the squad and to experience that. But I, I don't think that... I, I doubt that was a, the the motivation in, in at this period. I think... I, I suspect that he was actually just desperate to play football. I mean, the reality is England England squad doesn't convene again until March. Um at the earliest, if that's if I can't, I can't even remember there, there probably are. They're, they're yeah, usually March. pictures in March on the um, it, I mean, and and you know, if he was thinking in terms of just being fit for the summer tournament, then there's actually an argument that he'd sat out another two or three weeks and made sure he had a proper run of games through January, February, and so that he was in form and in rhythm when that squad was announced. I I suspect and hope that that he wanted to get back to help Crystal Palace out of a particularly nasty predicament in terms of the, the lack of options available to, to Roy Hodgson. And this is a player that desperately wants to play football. I imagine he also wants to play football with his big mate, Michael Elise, who is, I mean, when the pair, and we saw it, we saw it in glimpses against Everton. We saw it in glimpses against Luton. And that's pretty much it, really, in terms of us seeing them together this season. Um, and you know, we're all desperate to see them in tandem together and, and tearing it up. And Palace need that. They need that to give themselves a chance of opening up teams and actually pulling away from trouble and safely up into mid-table and, and higher in this division. And I, I hope that was the main motivation before, you know, behind his, uh, his, his speedy return from the ankle problem. The, the two points that some perceived that we dropped last night would have taken us back to 12th, which would have been a lovely place to be for Christmas, as it really is home. So that, that's uh, <laughs> that, that's one uh, regret of mine last night. OK, thank you, gents. Uh, let's, let's call time on part one there. Join us after the break when Dom and Brackers will be answering your questions. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Question time, and we've had plenty uh, come to us in, in full time, some of which we've already covered uh, in the first part's uh, conversation. Um, so I thought what we'd do is broaden the questions to a more generic conversation rather than game-specific as we head towards Christmas. So firstly, uh, a couple, uh, one from Jeff Bartner. Is it fair to say that the board's gambit, gambit gamble to provide Roy with little to no reinforcement has paid off. If the team plays as hard as the past three games and has an average January window, it seems 12th to 15th finish is inevitable. And Andy Boulding um, adds to that. If we don't add any, well, sorry, he adds to the conversation, doesn't add to the point. If we don't add any quality in January, can we avoid the drop? So I guess in terms of those two conversations, it's really about the the approach that the board have taken. Um Ed, let's, let's let's look at January and and from your perspective, regardless of the results and performances that come in uh, the games against Chelsea and Brentford, do you feel there's an absolute necessity to to bring bodies into that squad? Without a shadow of a doubt, there's been a necessity since the the transfer window closed on <laughs> was it August thirty first, September first, whichever one it was. I mean, the, the fact that Tyreek Mitchell's never really had proper competition and, and cover at left back is needs to be addressed. The fact. When Sheikh Decore picks up that, so there's such a cruel Achilles injury up at, against Luton that needs to be addressed now. Chris Richards is doing a, a fine job in there, and I'm more than happy with him in terms of his mobility. But I think you saw maybe a little bit in that first half that he struggled, struggled to adapt to the game. Yeah. I noticed that he and Mark Gay he was sort of switching positions when Gay he would drive forward. Um, Funny enough, I actually didn't mind Gahey in that role. I think he reads the game really well. But um, Palace desperately need more cover in that area. And as I mentioned earlier, they they never replaced Wilfred Zaha, so it's there's this sort of key areas of the squad which needs to be addressed. But the problem is if there isn't much money to go about, or if we're relying on outgoings then to bring in more in, incomings, um, it's a lot to do within a month. So uh, my hope would be that sort of plans, and I'm pretty sure the plans are probably already in place to to bring people in to get sort of the wheels in motion in terms of making sure that we're not scrambling around on January 31st or February 1st um, to try and get the bodies in. But in terms of squad depth, I think it's been the common theme for every Crystal Palace podcast, every Crystal Palace discussion I've had and since the season started, really. The squad is paper thin in, in the wide areas. Um, we knew Michael Elise and Mateus Francia were injured at the start of the season. Had to sort of forego points at the at the start of the campaign to sort of just try and get by the Nottingham Forest game the, uh, the Fulham game at home these were games that that were very winnable at that stage of the season but we didn't have the the squad to really compete with it um somehow we're we're on a certain number of points and I think it's a little bit of a, a miracle really that we have that many points considering Michael Elisa and Eberich Yeze have only played 80 minutes in, in total or something along those lines so there is without a shadow of a doubt a need to to strengthen this squad in, in key areas because for too long it's it's been 
sort of just trying to get by with season after season. I think it was the thing that Steve Parrish said on on the podcast that he did. Was it the the BBC one um, with Gary Lineker where he said if, if think, you give think, Roy a set... I think it's the uh, not BBC Gary Lineker podcast. It's not, not BBC Gary Lineker podcast. Okay. Goal Hanger, Goal Hanger Productions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whichever one it was. He said if you give Roy a certain number of players, he gets this result, that result, and then this yeah. the other result. Yeah, if, if, we, if we give Roy an incredible set of players, I think it would be if almost in dreamland of what we could achieve but we haven't done that we've chosen to go down a different route whether that's due to the stadium other areas of the squad obviously we need to rebuild again in the summer if we lose others so plenty of factors in play but um i'd hope that just to secure our i don't think we're going to go down but just to make it a bit more of a comfortable second half of the season i'd like to see extra bodies brought in dom share the sentiment yeah absolutely i mean yeah, the, the squad is worse than it was last year. Um, it's not as deep. It's uh, lacking in key areas, as Ed makes obvious. Um, do I believe that they will have the ability to go into the market in January and 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 make the improvements? Well, I I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I, I I think history teaches us how the club likes to do business, how the club can do business. And there will be there will be bigger fish than us looking or fishing in in in, in the same pond. Yeah, this unfortunately next next month, and I don't think it'll be easy to do, but it's desperately needed. I, I, it's it's funny, really. The whole thing. I mean, we get when Palace lose matches from now on in. You know, if they get beaten at Stamford Bridge or they lose to Brentford. These games are being played out with the, and I hope he forgives me this if you ever get to talk to him, but the spectre of Steve Cooper hovering over this. There is now a manager available who we know Palace have looked at in the past, who is available now. I'm not saying that he's, you know, he's on, on the verge of joining or anything like that, but now it's a different dynamic to everything from now on in because Roy Hodgson, who we know his contract runs out at the end of the season, um, and it, the team is not. Okay, it's 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 nine points above the relegation zone as we speak, but that's a bit of a deceptive position because Luton have got two games in hand. Um, it, it feels as if an element of the crowd has turned, and it's it's not an easy situation. It's a it's a it's a tense situation. So every time there's a defeat, it's going to feel cataclysmic potentially for him. For you know, it's going to be, it could prompt change. That's the reality of it. Unless somebody comes out and just says, no, Roy's here until the end of the season. We'll give him the resources that he needs in January to keep us out of trouble. Um, and then we'll part our ways and it will all be, we'll move on as a club and with with thanks to Roy. That type of thing doesn't tend to happen at Palace. But it, I, that's, that is my fear for the, for the rest of this season. Because I, you know, even after a one-all draw against a team that's clearly better than us, people are still furious, going absolutely berserk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 worrying, really. <laughs> yeah, I am genuinely intrigued to see the approach the club take because, yeah, and you cite Luton having two games in hand. That that definitely needs to be taken into account. But we are still relatively comfortable in terms of proximity to the relegation zone at this point of the season. The last time Palace went big in January was back in 2017, hmm. I think, with with, um, with Allardyce coming in, the window of Luka Milovic, Jeffrey Schlupp, 
Patrick Van Arnholt, Mamadou Sakho's wages coming in as a as a loan signing. That was because I think we went into that new year period either in the relegation zone or, or just above it. Um, and Sam Allardyce had presumably signed his contract with the assurances that money would be coming in that January. So will Palace spend money in, and I'm going to say it, listener, a very difficult window to spend money in to get good value. Will they spend that money if the threat of relegation is not as impending as it was back in 2017? I think they will, because I think there has to be an acceptance of the growing fear amongst the fan base and the separation between the club and the fan base. I I think there's a set of fans, some may be listening to this podcast, but a set of fans who may, even if we take full points, say, for the next two games, will still consider us to be batting below our average, despite the evident lack of quality in that squad. So I think there is uh, a decision to be made by those in in the boardroom as to, to what support they give the manager. Who that manager is, we have a couple of questions which I'll put to you both as well. Matthew Ward, should Roy go sooner than the end of the season? If we had a new manager coming before January, they could assess who, what we need. Who would you want in? Cooper is looking for his next job. And John Dodds, would Steve Cooper have removed the positive positivity gained from the youngsters' performance versus City by recalling Hughes? So in terms of Steve Cooper specifically, as Dom says there have been a uh, kind of acknowledgement of there being links between the club and Steve Cooper previously. Um, I think before the appointment of Patrick Vieira, Steve Cooper's name was, was very heavily linked with the Palace vacancy at that point. Don, do you see there being an actual fit of this Palace squad as it is with Steve Cooper, as so many Palace fans seem to identify? Again, it's a really good question. I, 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 uh, one of my, one of my journalists, Colleagues is a is a is a Nottingham Forest fan, and um, was utterly devastated at, at Cooper's departure from Forest last week. And um, we were we were chatting away on WhatsApp, and and he he said to, he said, "Oh, don't worry, you you you'll have him at the uh, Palace at some point soon, no doubt." And I, and I sort of suggested that there had been contact, and he said, "Oh, but what? But one thing, I I read a lot of Palace fans saying that oh, he'll." He'll be brilliant for our younger players because he did so well with the England under-20s. Well, we haven't seen very much evidence of that at Nottingham Forest, he says. The one person that that he has done well with is Morgan Gibbs-White. And you could argue that Brennan Johnson was given a chance, but largely because Brennan Johnson was one of Nottingham Forest's best players already at the club. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White was a player that he knows and he has done fantastically well. But I don't think we should suddenly think that if Steve Cooper comes in, that suddenly our under-18s are going to be in our first team. Because I just it, it won't work like that. Um, I, I don't know enough about um, Steve Cooper's style of play because I think since he came to... To, well, since he certainly took Forrest into the Premier League, they've obviously been fighting a rear guard to stay in the Premier League. And I don't think you really express your philosophy as a manager uh, if if you plunge straight into a horrific relegation battle with a squad that's been assembled pretty much overnight as it was in the summers of 2022 and 2023 so I don't know if anyone really knows how Steve Cooper would fare at a mid-table Premier League club who should be clear of trouble but but I don't think he suddenly look if he did come in at Palace if he did at some point in the future and I don't think I have no indications now that he's, he's likely to be anytime soon, but but as I say, he is available. Um, I mean, surely it's someone, 
he, he'd want him to have a pre-season with the team with the team to to bed in any ideas and philosophy that he's got so that he can work with them get them to a level of the fitness that is required for his style of football um get them the ideas and the yeah the, the types of movement the types of passing drills except all that type of stuff sorted in the pre-season i don't think if he came in in a say for example if he came in now he would have any chance to do any of that type of stuff and we probably wouldn't see the steve cooper team anyway because he'd have be, he'd be firefighting from day one so uh, that's me saying i don't know whether he's coming in or not but and i also don't know how well he'll do it was interesting with selsey talking about it i mean selsey seemed pretty unconvinced that he would be he would sate people's appetites for the uh, type of football we want to see at sellers but i don't think anyone really knows because he's not been in that position I'll throw to you in a moment, Ed, just in terms of Cooper and, and your thoughts on the manager situation. But the, the narrative in terms of Cooper's youth, uh, sorry, use of uh, youngsters, it, it really reminds me of when Peter Taylor was reappointed, or not was reappointed, appointed in, in 2006 as Palace manager. And having so recently been the under-21 manager, people presumed that he'd have the best black book in, in football and would you know fill the Palace team with, with the starlets of the under-21s at that point. And that didn't happen. Scotlanders. Scotlanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark Kennedy lied on his uh, on his application, but yeah, in, in terms of of Cooper, that that is how he he became a, a prominent figure in in English football and worked his way through the FA. But as you say, Don, he hasn't showcased that um, at North he, he, he did to some extent at Swansea, in fairness, yeah. and including our own Mark Gay, who who he brought yeah. into into Championship football and and uh, and utilised very very well. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that he doesn't have the players at Forest that he thinks he could, and, and maybe with the talents that Palace have coming through the academy, it could be different. That said, is any manager going to chuck a raft of youngsters in to a team that is in the position in the league where we currently are? So it's an interesting. One. Ed, your thoughts on 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 the manager and and whether there's anyone else out there that's either you know you, you see Kieran McKenna linked, who's currently in in employment yeah. at Ipswich, uh, his name has been linked also by Palace fans and anyone who who may have um, a clear idea whether that's a viable option. Uh, it seems to me to be this season's Michael Carrick who was being mentioned at this time last year. Um, just wonder whether there's always just someone in vogue that that clubs like Palace are, are, are looking at. And, and just your thoughts on, on Steve Cooper specifically. In terms of Steve Cooper, I've, I think I've watched Nottingham Forest three times against Crystal Palace um, in total. And I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the style of play is, to be, to be perfectly honest. I don't think he's going to come in and revitalise Jordan Ayew and turn him into a 15-goal-a-season striker or winger. Um, I, I'd love to see what Pep Guardiola could do with this squad because it's, it's so thin and the options are you have to keep using the same players week in, week out. You know, we're, we're limited in what we can do from full back to midfield to, to attack. There's Palace are really lopsided at the moment in terms of the way they play because the left back can get forward. The right back can't, uh, the right winger can sack the left winger can't. So it's, there's no sort of, it's, it's basically the, the imbalance in the squad is, is, is crazy. There's no sort of, it, none of it really matches up, but you know, we talk a lot about if Steve Cooper came in, we see all of our under 21s kind of promoted up to the first team. I watch a lot of the under 21s play, um, obviously have conversations in terms of, uh, do a lot of stories around sort of low knees or, or what might happen or we'll players who step up to train. We'll come on to one of those in a, in a part three. <laughs> it's players who step up to train with the first team. These are all very talented individuals. And I think we've seen with David Ozo, some one or two maybe have the ability to, to, to do it in the Premier League. But when David Ozo came on last night, maybe I'm in the sort of minority thinking this. I don't think he looked perfectly sort of 
comfortable with the situation. I think he had to be sort of coached through it a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I looked at his stats. He completed 100% of his passes, 10 passes. Very, that's a very commendable stat. But he obviously did very well up against City. But I, I, if Palace got in a replacement, say a Wilfred Ndidi or someone else to, to come in for that sort of six months or, or however long it is to, to, to look after Sheikh Dekora's spot, We'd send David Oz out on loan, I'm pretty sure of it. I, I, I don't think that... He's obviously in Roy's sort of inner circle golden trust at the moment, but you know, if you have a player like Wilfred Ndidi, he's very similar to Jefferson Lerma in terms of the experience that they've got. I don't think you can see him being picked over David Ozo. So I, I don't... Sorry, apologies. I don't think you can see David Ozo being picked over him. So these players need to go out and earn their stripes and get minutes under their belt before they can really come in. You know, if, if we were a Premier League club when Wilfred Zaha was coming through, what's to say that he would have had the same sort of impact. He, he needed the environment where he could flourish and it's the same for some of these youngsters. I don't get the impression that any of them are bar Ozo at the moment are sort of banging the door down where you think these guys can do it week in, week out. So for the people saying that Zach Marsh needs to be included in the squad at some stage, it's ludicrous because Zach Marsh is not ready to be a Premier League striker whatsoever. I don't understand the sort of calls for it. It's, um, it's very reactionary, but yeah, that's. Uh, I don't. It's a long way of me saying I don't think Steve Cooper would come in and revitalise this squad by turning it into the Busby Babes of South London. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will come on. Sorry, I interrupted you. We will come on to a story that you have broken uh, this very afternoon in terms of one of our young starlets. I, I think that we we didn't really ask too many questions there, and it was more just a, a chat. I think it's it's important, albeit the transfer window doesn't open um, for at least another two games and. Obviously, the Steve Cooper situation is out there, so I thought it was just a, a, a nice chance to maybe have a, a broader chat than, than answer some of the questions. But thank you for your questions, listener. We we do enjoy receiving them, and hopefully some of the ones that we got through in the first part um, have answered those, but please do send them in. Um, join us uh, after the break for uh, part three, uh, where we'll be playing 3-2-1. Welcome back to the FYP podcast for part three, uh, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Um, Ed, I touched on it just before the break, but before we do get into 3 one you broke a story about one of our young Eagles uh, potentially getting the green light for a loan move um, in January. Um, and there's another story about another uh, player from the academy also possibly getting a move. But, but the story you broke this afternoon, Ed, uh, was about who? Uh, Crystal Palace under-21 striker Adamola Oladabomi, who's obviously been on the bench a handful of times this season under Roy Hodgson. Um, as far as I understand, I think Shrewsbury is sort of leading the race to sign him at the moment. Obviously, Palace have a good relationship with them, having sent Rob Street and Killian Phillips there in, in previous season, last season. So uh, they're actually the second lowest scorers in League One. So if he went there, I think the main thing would be to get him game time. As I mentioned, for a lot of these youngsters, the... Yeah, the jump up from under-21 football even to League 2 football is... I've seen players come to AFC Wimbledon on loan and absolutely flounder. There's there's no guarantees that these guys are going to come in and, and and sort of hit the ground running. But I think it's important for to find the right club where you're going to get minutes, you're going to get a manager who trusts you, understands what your actual strengths are. Because if you look at Adam Olola, Adabomi as a player, you're going to think that his sort of best threat is through the air but I think it's a bit sort of like Jean-Philippe Mateta where he's a bit more technical than that so um, yeah I mean obviously a, a lot of time to go between now and when the January transfer window actually opens and as we saw yesterday Palace do need cover in that position for the first team squad so I don't think to caveat it I don't think he 
potentially will be going anywhere until a, a replacement or an extra forward sort of option is is brought in. But but, um, but as you do say, Ed, if if he is being lined up for a move, that probably indicates the club are making plans in terms of of the first team. If, if discussions are to be had with with leaving yeah, clubs well, to raise their expectations, then given that he is probably the third choice striker right now. Um, albeit yeah. tomorrow, you could probably do that job. It, it does indicate that that maybe plans are afoot. There was another story um, this morning uh, linking Jack Hawes Morrison with a move um, to our friends down the road at Charlton Athletic. So uh, uh, we uh, we could see a few starlets uh, being let out. The Shrewsbury manager, just by a quick bit of research this morning, Matt Taylor, he of the uh, left foot wand, uh, score of many a great goal. I hadn't appreciated he'd uh, he'd gone into management. So uh, yeah, so just to make me feel a bit older than I already felt after you not knowing who Bross were, Ed. So uh, anyway, uh, time for uh, this week's 3 to one uh, Quick update as to where we are. We have had a few crews from listener. Jefferson Lerma currently uh, tops the charts um, ahead of Joachim Anderson, Jean-Philippe Mateta and Mark Gay. So, um, not to inform your thoughts on on this one, um, but Dom, I'll come to you first this week. I'll go Nat Klein. Um, just really impressed with the energy that he's brought to the to fullback in the in the last couple of games. Really, the Liverpool game, he was very very impressive in that match, and and last night he was up against Matoma, who has made many a Premier League fullback look daft. He, he he didn't, and in fact, Matoma left the ground on crutches, not because of anything that Klein had done, but but you know, I think he felt fairly bruised by the whole experience anyway, um, and and Klein he played his part in that. It's just it's just nice to see a Palace youth team graduate doing so well still at Palace. I know he's he's had periods away, and and indeed his career has hit the proper heights. Um, of of England recognition, playing for Liverpool, etc. In in the intervening years, but but um, he is justifying the contract that was offered and signed last summer, and actually on the performances that he's he's putting in now, he, he doesn't look like a player that whose 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 Premier League career is is winding up. He looks as if there might be a few more years left in him. Yeah, he was exceptional last night. I, I thought he was kind of close to his best and it's amazing to think we're just three weeks on from the Bournemouth game when he came on at left back and looked incredibly short of confidence albeit slightly out of position but to, to transform his uh, his form as quickly as he's done very good at City as you say very good um, last night so really pleased for him and, and not to preempt the, the Warnock interview that we touched on earlier that's due to come out in early January but talking through Neil Warnock, the man who gave him his debut, 15 years of playing for, for Palace, albeit, as you say, Don, with, with spells away. But to, to for a career to span that, and, and as you say, performances like last night will indicate to Palace or other clubs at this level that there is still a player there who can very much play at this level. Um, Edmund, I guess where you sit, you, you see full-backs all the time, and, and Klein would have taken your eye last night as well. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely excellent. Um, I had a, had a quick look at uh, for the player ratings. I always sort of have a look at the stats, see how the players get on, so I can form a sort of opinion on that. I think, um, as I mentioned, I, th- I think Matoma only got past him once and he completed four interceptions as well. So, um, yeah, he's growing from strength to strength. I think it's going to pose a sort of real query as to what Crystal Palace do in the summer, as Don mentioned. I'd, I'd definitely give Nathaniel Klein another year extension in terms of keeping him a part of this squad but it's what happens with Joel Ward I, I personally would have made Joel Ward the sort of the fifth centre-back uh, and maybe 
that that's something for them to have a look at in the summer. But I think he's more than capable of still being sort of in and around the squad. And but what Nathaniel Klein offers in terms of the, his athleticism is um, you know, sort of incomparable to, to Joel Ward. Obviously, Ward's better at the back in terms of um, aerially and dealing with some of the crosses and corners that comes in. But Nathaniel Klein's uh, ability to to deal with a more pacey winger is um, a necessity in the Premier League these days. So yeah, no, he's absolutely excellent. Yeah, don't know all the fusses about Matoma. Not interested. Anyway, uh, Russell Levy uh, agrees with you both. Uh, did we all write Nat Klein off too soon? He's been excellent the last couple of games. And thank you, Russell. Uh, Ed, your nomination for this week's 3-2-1. Uh, I'd, I'd like to give it to Michael Elise. Um, purely my tour, just... My, my tour off the chart. Furious. <laughs> Purely for the nutmeg uh, on Matoma, so it was uh, it was special. I mean, um, he was in points of that game, grabbing it by the scruff of his neck, and he's been doing that a little bit more recently. I was talking to another journalist who was there yesterday. I was saying he's doing it a bit more, sort of Wilf esque in the way that he's becoming the sort of main man of the squad. I mean, he was doing it anyway last season, and he's a phenomenal talent. And he's going to go on to do even bigger, better things than than us in the future, whether that is at the end of next season, who, this season, who knows. But um, a wonderful footballer and a player who seems to be growing and getting better week by week. So um, he's, an, he's a joy to watch. And he, you sort of, he's the reason you, you go to football, you pay the entry fees to, to see what he's going to do with it. Because Love that. Love that. Yeah, Love that cliche. Yeah. Yeah, love that. Thank John, you. Your thoughts on uh, on Michael Lisa, who got quite a bit of praise from from Sky's coverage last night. I, I take it as well. Yeah, they did. They did go to town on him, um, but they also said that uh, Jean Philippe Mateta, um, his prowess is is heading the football, and that, that people should fling crosses in from left and right. So let's take it with a pinch of salt. Brighton um, legend Glenn Murray wasn't it talking? Yeah, no, no, no. no. Muzzin was good. Muzzin was very good in the studio. Sorry, no, that's that's unfair of me. Um, people having to speak on the on the spur of the moment. Uh, watching the game, uh, at least they did very very well. Yeah, it's it's a sort of measure of the of his quality that actually when he does give the ball away, and he did a couple of times in dangerous areas on the edge of his box, giving it back to, to Brighton on a two or three occasions, that you're so exasperated because you know that, that actually he has such high standards that that, that when he when he falls slightly off them, you, you want to sort of, you know, come on, lad, just go and show them, show, show the world what you can do. And he, and he did. The, the, the one run in the second half where he... He burst from deep and he just... Palace have been camped and camped and camped in their own territory. They couldn't get out. They couldn't get out. And they got the ball to release. And he found a way of getting from the edge of his own box to halfway inside the in Brighton half. And it was an absolutely magical run. Um, all our best play and moves came from him, usually involving Mateta at some stage, preempting where Jack's going and his choice, no doubt. But... Um, uh, yeah, he's just he is a joy to watch. I can't wait for the time when we have him and Eberichi as a fit, firing in rhythm, up to speed, um, and playing together in harness. And I just hope that we uh, find a finisher to to take the chances that, that they create. It's uh, it's something we've seen too a lot of the season. I think obviously Ebbs' minutes last night will count towards the minutes they've shared, but I, I don't recall one of them passing to one another last night, so it didn't really count from from my perspective. But yeah, some lovely touches. Um, 
last week when um, when Joe hosted Postman City, we didn't, and we were called out by Julia Toff, rightly so, we didn't celebrate Michael Elise's celebration against Man City last week, which was probably the most joyous I've seen that man since signing for Palace. So, Julia, it's been referenced. It's uh, it's out there, uh, and you're right to cite it because it was um, a fantastic moment to see a player and a man who's often accused of being so kind of within his shell to have that moment of release, and it clearly meant a lot to him. But, yeah, some lovely touches last night. The, the guy is just a wonderful player to watch and, and, and a real treat for us. Um, but, yeah... As you say, Dom, fingers crossed that we get um, some time of, of Elise and Eze playing together regularly for a consistent amount of time. I will be nominating Jean-Philippe Mateta um, this week, despite uh, my previous assertions this season that he wouldn't get another point. I thought he was absolutely exceptional again last night. Um, I thought the, uh, the touch that I referred to in the first part was the touch in the second half where he took it out of the sky and uh, sent Lewis Dunk towards Thornton Heath while he headed towards Nord Junction. It was absolutely fantastic, and he battered Lewis Dunk for large parts of that game, and I thought he um, he put himself about really well. The only problem for him is that we didn't have someone to come and do the last 15 minutes, which really that performance required, and it meant that he couldn't contribute for the full 90 minutes to level that he trained for the first 75 minutes but within that last 15 minutes one element of his play that he did contribute and we've often talked about his area ability I recall two very decent headers from our own penalty area that he um he contributed to the defensive effort so for me Jean-Philippe Mateta for a second week running is is part of the conversation um and yeah he's playing to a level that I throughout probably September October into November, I just didn't think he was he was possible of reaching. Um, but yeah, really good performance and followed up as what we described earlier in the week as probably his best performance in a Palace shirt at City with another very good performance. Same from your perspective, Ed. Yeah, he was he was absolutely excellent, um, flawless in the way he was sort of bringing the ball down. That that moment where he sort of jinked past Lewis Dunk to feed through as a it was uh, when he is a when he is playing with confidence. He is, again, another player who's a bit of a joy to watch in terms of the chaos that he brings. Nobody really knows what he's going to do. So it's, uh, it's yeah, he, he was excellent last night. Um, the question is when Otten Edward is fit, who who leads the line? If Mateta continues with this sort of form, it's, a, it's the same sort of query with the goalkeeper situation, isn't it? Sort of possession is nine-tenths of the law. So at the moment, Mateta has the shirt and... Once January closes, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, he's, um, he's he's playing with a lot of confidence right now and, and doing really well. Dom, I just wonder whether we could uh, apply the same adage to it's seven o'clock somewhere regarding a cocktail to there's a transfer window open somewhere in regards to Jean-Philippe Mateta, whether it's the Middle East or parts of Eastern Europe, I don't know, start creating different transfer windows because it certainly does seem to be, and I know listeners are probably bored of us talking about it, but it does seem to be the closer you get to a transfer window, he seems to turn it up a bit. Yeah, well, I guess there's an element of that being natural, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure he's he's doing it consciously. To be honest, I mean, it's he's he's getting these opportunities at periods of the season where the the transfer window is, you know, looming larger, uh, or indeed the transfer deadline is getting closer when you go to Plymouth in the League Cup. I mean, it's 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 uh, it, it's born of regular game time um, and feeling a part of things. I imagine it, it can't be easy being 
an understudy, a Premier League understudy, where you're getting cameos here and there. And you're basically being asked every time you come on to the pitch, you're either being asked to shore things up or you're being asked to win us a game that, that we've somehow contrived to, to either fall behind in or need to win. And and it's there's a lot of pressure involved in that. And and now he's actually, since coming on at half-time against Liverpool, he's he's got a defined role in the team. And let, let's get it right, he's not... In the, in the two and a half games that he's played, I mean, Liverpool maybe to a lesser extent because he... he we had more of the ball in that game. We were more of a threat. But Manchester City and Brighton have effectively been rearguard actions from the start. So he's he actually starting a lot of these games. He's not starting in the opponent's half. He's starting halfway inside our own half. And and as we camp behind the ball to desperately try and stop a team tearing us to pieces. And he's done that very, very well. And he has sprung forward. He's shown more pace and more ability holding the ball up than I thought he had. Yeah. But that's maybe born of just being part of the team and getting the minutes and, and playing. And that's not even a criticism of the manager because I think we've got a, a very good finisher with his own flaws as well in, in Odson Edouard, who has, after all, scored six times for us this season. You know, he's, he's clearly, by some distance, our leading goal scorer. So it's not as if... It's not as if that Mateta should have been playing like this for a while, but but you know the necessity of the situation has, for, has offered him an opportunity, and he's taken it. And it will be intriguing to see what happens to him in January, because unlike the goalkeeper situation, we may well sell a striker to buy one. We may have to. I mean, realistically speaking, it may be that Mateta, who was available for periods in the summer, and will probably be available again and, and might actually, as as Ed's written, I mean, he probably wants to be integral every week and he knows that actually at Palace he probably won't be, you know, when other people get back to fitness. So hopefully his value just goes up sufficiently with a nice little flurry of goals <laughs> yes, that we can uh, afford someone else. <laughs> yes, yes. Keep keep going, JP. The transfer window's not here, <laughs> not here yet. Uh, lovely. Okay, so those are our three nominees this week. Nathaniel Klein, Michael Alise, Jean-Philippe Mateta. Um, I'm happy to to defer to you guys, but I'm also happy to for my own nomination to to be kind of placed at number one in terms of Jean Philippe because I, I feel that that Klein and Lise may have had better games than, than Jean Philippe last night. So I'll let it, but I'll let you two battle it out between uh, each other in terms of uh, your your first place for the three points. I mean. Beauty before age, I think, is, the, is, is not the expression. Go on, Ed, well, I'll give to you. You can allocate the points this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, I agree with that. He's been excellent in the past couple of hours. So deserves, will you go back to the top of the uh, the leaderboard? Oh, are you, are you saying Jean-Philippe for the three? For the three. Oh, Controversial. Uh, we talk... I, I mean, I was thinking you guys would, would place one of yours at, at the top. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Hang on, no, let me just I've, check. I've, I thought we were talking about. No, no, you you can play. No, it wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be enough for him to go top of the charts if that does. Okay, it's not it's not worth doing it then. I'll give it to Nathaniel Klein. <laughs> Nathaniel Klein. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that that's fair. Yeah. Uh, this is how they decide Klein. Oscars. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is how they do it. It probably genuinely is just. Three people in yeah. a Zoom call having a chat, not really knowing what's going on. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think in terms of, of that level of performance that he showed last night, I think that's fair. Um, happy with the Lee Sayers two then? And Batesta is one, Ed? 
Yeah, that that will do. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll sleep well tonight with that. So yeah. you'll sleep well with that. Lovely. Okay, so <laughs> that really was a game of three, two, one in terms of yeah. uh, of where we went with that one. Lovely. Okay, perfect. Thank you, gents. Uh, right, join us after the break for a very quick preview of two games coming up at Chelsea and at home to Brentford. Welcome back to this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Okay, let's quickly look ahead to Chelsea away on the 27th and Brentford at home on the 30th. Dom, no cheap Chelsea gags from me, but what have you made of them this season? (laughs) Uh, Well, they're a team in transition. They're a team that's... With backed by a fan base that are struggling to comprehend the fact that that that, that standards are slightly different now uh, under new owners, um, and that the policy going forward is 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 different. And and quite understandably, you know, that's a big, massive culture shift that's happened in a very short period of time at Chelsea. Of course, that has still involved spending ridiculous amounts sums of money, but but. I don't think you'll find any other club on the planet that that would go into this January window where a player that has been picked consistently has been a key part of the manager's plan, has been given the captain's armband on numerous occasions, is apparently actually available for transfer if anyone stomps up the cash because we need to buy other players who have no affiliation with this club or no sense of belonging or anything like that. It is... weird weird situation and it, it epitomized by conor gallagher and everything that's going on with him they, it's been a while it's been a while since we rang the conor gallagher bell on this podcast so it's nice to have him back yeah and, and look, palace I, I doubt very much that palace are, are in the thinking at all anymore on this on that on that particular score i, I it wouldn't surprise me if a, a tottenham or uh, probably a tottenham but maybe a west Ham something like that came in for him and and did put an offer on the table that Chelsea accepted which would be baffling for every other club in the country but not for them <laughs> not for this um one. <laughs> no it's that they, they, they are for their fans they're very they're infuriating to watch i i would i would sort of preach some kind of caution here for palace fans they're not awful no. They've got some really good players. They've got a World Cup winner in midfield who has been going through a bit of a tough time of late, but actually if he's firing, he's a really good player in Enzo Fernandez. They've got they've got a lot of talent in in forward areas that just haven't quite gelled. Cole Palmer is a hell of a player. Uh, Raheem Sterling is a we all know what Raheem Sterling is. And and and, and Nicholas Nicholas Jackson on his day can be a handful. They've got a good defence. They've got young players. They've got a player that was excellent at Brighton last season in Levi Colwell, who's now playing a mixture of left centre-back and left-back for them. They have got talent everywhere. What they don't have is Reese James, which is a massive bonus for Palace um, because Reese James always seems to pull it out of the bag whenever he plays us, usually against Wilfred Zaha, admittedly, but he's he's now out for three or four months. They do have injury problems, and they also have a fixture on Christmas Eve, which is a massive bonus for Palace, because they have to go to Wolves on Christmas Eve and play, which is an, it's an absolute disgrace, by the way, for their support. I mean, I, I know it's Chelsea fans here we're talking about, but that make, having to make that journey on Christmas Eve, yeah. give it a rest. What is that about? This is absolutely insane. But that gives them less time to prepare for this match. Okay, it's a home game for them, but it's not exactly a 
particularly distant game for Palace either. Uh, and that does give Palace a chance. Um, I, I, there is, I there's an opportunity there. Yeah, that point hadn't really occurred to me, but there can't be many instances in the Premier League season where one team has a three-day advantage <laughs> over their opponents in terms of kind of preparation. Well, I guess it happens every team. Every, every time a small club plays a club that plays in Europe. In, in it, Europe, I guess. And yeah. But in terms of the same competition, yeah, that, that yeah. is bizarre. Yeah, arrangement of fixtures. But yes, the, uh, the Christmas Eve allocation of a fixture. It's uh, it's quite brilliant, but in a week that we've had regarding other decisions about the future of football, um, let's not get into that one. I guess just just uh, just because I I did a quiz the other day on a on a rival podcast oh, that was around around the the, the Chelsea. So the last time Palace didn't lose to Chelsea in a game was. Was Roy, it Roy's was first it, win? Yeah, Roy's first win. Roy Hodgson's first win in 2017 wow. when the Chelsea wow. manager was Antonio Conte. <laughs> wow. They had Tiamui Bakayoko and Thibaut Courtois playing for them. Amongst Fabregas. Fabregas was at the club already? Yeah, he might, he might still have been there. Oh, no, yeah. possibly not. Possibly not. He might have gone the previous season, possibly, during, yes. the, during the championship winning season. But, I mean, honestly, it's... It's a different era. It's a team from a different era for both of them, obviously. But but for Chelsea fans looking at that, Chelsea, there's a practically a whole generation of Chelsea fans that just think that every time they play Crystal Palace, they win. They win, yeah. Just give us the point. <laughs> Twelve games on the bounce. I mean, I it t- is ridiculous. I tell you, one man who played that day that might accentuate the the gap in time between that win, um, or not Chelsea winning, as you, as you put it, Dom. Palace goalkeeper that day was Julian Sproni. What was it? Yeah, yeah. What was it? Wow. Yeah. So it, yeah, and in my head, 2017 is literally last year, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brackers, we know Brentford will be a draw, but what's the score going to be? <laughs> uh, well, have we had a nil-nil against them in the Premier League yet? Ooh, yes, we yeah. have. The first time we played them at Selhurst, Conor Gallagher hit the bar. Okay. Yeah. I'll go for nil-nil again. I think that's. Uh... A nice way to round off the uh, the calendar year at home. That's, uh, yes, I might yeah. say, if that is the case, I might tell Palace Twitter yeah. for uh, for New Year's Eve. I think the thing is the, the thing is with Brentford though is that they are not as strong as they were sort of in, in recent seasons. I mean, the fact that they've had they've brought back Sam and Godos and and Neil Morpay, it feels like they've regressed a little bit as well compared to, to the force they've been in, in previous seasons. Obviously, they uh, they lost stuff at Sheffield United as well not long ago, so. If there is a time to to finally beat them, it, it would be now. If we've got Ebrich as a ready by that point in terms of his fitness, and you're, with the break in between now and, and the Chelsea game, and even that game, you're thinking that that could be his sort of sweet spot to return to the starting lineup with him and Michael Elise going at that Brentford side with, as well. They've lost Aaron Hickey for the season. I thought he's been tremendous beforehand. Yeah. Goalkeeper situation, I'm not com- totally convinced on. Um, so there is an opportunity there for Crystal Palace to actually. You know, we need a home win, don't we? we? We need a win, full stop. But to get a home win, to sort of round off the calendar year, would be the the perfect scenario. So um, it would be wonderful. I say nil nil in yeah. Yeah, you're conservatively going for the draw just to keep the the pattern. And sorry for listeners that that might not know why. I presume it will be. I think the five games we've played against them in the Premier League since they've been promoted have all been draws. Two two nil nils in the first season. Two one two two. No, hang on. I'll ignore me, listener. But it's definitely been five draws so far, but I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a long year, listener. Sorry. Um, 
but yes, no, still no Ivan Tony. He's not due back until the new year. But they have still kept their heart, their head above where I thought they would be. I thought they would um, perhaps struggle even more without him. But as you say, they. Bono is a big miss. I mean, he's, he's a he's massive in, miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah a big he's miss out for a while now as well. So mm. they will need Ivan Tony to come back fit and firing. Otherwise, they could find themselves maybe in a similar mindset that some of our fan base is at the moment. Um, but gents, that's it. That is. Um, that's it for our last podcast before Christmas. So wishing both you and yours a uh, wonderful Christmas. And listeners, thank you. Wherever you are listening in from, season's greetings to you all uh, from us here at FYP. We're incredibly grateful for all of your support and contributions throughout the year. Um, so we hope you enjoy the festive season. Um, JD will be back after the Brentford game with a review of both the Chelsea and the Brentford game, but also, I think, maybe a reflection upon the year of 2023. So, from all of us here at FIP, Merry Christmas to one and all. Have a good one and go well. Podcast Network.